Psalms again. Psalm number 19. Psalm number 19. We're going to continue our series this morning on on the book of Psalms. We're staying, as I said before, uh, in this first book of the Psalms, Psalm 1 through 41. And uh, this morning we'll look at uh, probably at least partially a a familiar passage uh, for for most of us. So uh, read with me, will you? Psalm 19, verse 1. It says, a Psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This psalm, as we've said with all these psalms, just reminding ourselves that the, the genre of the psalms is, is poetry. The style of writing is, is poetic. And one of the things that we notice about poetry, if you've ever read much poetry, uh, is that they're, they're unlike um, what we might see, say, in the writings of the Apostle Paul. Paul writes, and he, he writes in a way that is laying out truth, and he builds arguments, and he uses the word therefore a lot, right? Because he'll say, this is true, and this is true, and this is true, therefore, now, now this is true. Uh, we, we see that, I'm, I'm in going through Romans in our community group, and we're coming up the end of chapter 5 and, and, and verse 6, and, and there he's just building from chapter 5, and he's saying, now if that's true, what about this? And they're just arguments building on top of one another but but poetry doesn't work that way and and poetry uh, a good poet is going to make his point but sort of in an understated way he's going to make the point but he's not going to tell you explicitly what he's saying that there are oftentimes movements within poetry so so there's a shift and and it's a change 
but there's not a big sign there that says, hey, I'm, I'm changing here. And, and for you to read and understand poetry, and, and that's important for us because some of the Bible is poetry, as, as the Psalms are. It's important for us to know how to interpret it. And so when we get to these psalms, sometimes there are movements, there are shifts, and we've got to have understanding and be able to tie them together. And that's what we have in this psalm. Uh, There are really three movements, and he doesn't say, uh, okay, I'm done talking about this, now I'm going to talk about that. Uh, But the movements we see are, are, and I'll just talk about the structure here for a second, verses 1 through 6. First of all, the psalmist David is, is writing and he's talking about how God is communicating to us. God is speaking to us. And that really is the thesis or the main point of, of Psalm 19. God is speaking. And verses 1 through 6, he's talking about how God is speaking to us through his creation. Specifically, he's speaking to us through the sky. That's the one thing that the psalmist points out. Of course, we know all creation speaks to us. All creation is telling us about God and his glory. But the psalmist focuses in, focuses in just on the sky. And in particular, even in the sky, he talks about the sun. And the main point of these first six verses is that this morning, when you got up and the sun rose, maybe you didn't get up at the sunrise, okay? Uh, but you got up and the sun was already up. And you looked out and you saw the sun. That was God speaking to you and communicating to you. And we're going to focus on those first six verses this morning. And then verses 7 through 11, really, this is the second movement. Now he shifts away from talking about how creation is communicating to us. And then he begins to talk about what sometimes is called special revelation. You see, creation is called general revelation. Revelation is is communication. God is revealing himself. And that's general revelation. Uh, it, it goes out to all people. It's sort of, it's not as specific, but, but it is God communicating. Now he goes and he talks about the word of God, verses 7 through 11. And he talks about the Bible. And the Bible is God communicating to you in a specific way. The law of the Lord, the precepts of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord. That is God speaking to you, revealing himself to you. That special revelation. And that's verses 7 through 11. Lord willing, we'll come back to this, uh, to this uh, chapter again next week and we'll look at what God says about His own Word uh, and, and how He's revealed Himself in that way. And then verses 12 through 14 is the response of David. Verses 12 through 14 are David's prayer to God. After he has considered uh, the way that God has revealed Himself in creation, and then he's re- revealed the, the glory and he's considered the glory of God's word. And then he comes and he prays to God and he, he recognizes that he's a sinner that needs to be declared innocent from hin- hidden faults. He's a sinner that needs to be kept back from presumptuous sin. And he prays for God's forgiveness and he prays that God would help his heart and the meditations of his heart and mind to be pleasing to God. So verses 12 through 14 is David's response to this meditation on the ways that God has revealed himself. And so, actually, as I was studying this and just thinking about it, it it struck me funny because uh, that is often, as as I think about God, uh, that's a sort of a familiar familiar path that my mind takes. I'll be out and 
looking at God's creation and just enjoying being outside. And I'll begin to meditate and think about just how wonderful this world is and how it reveals God's glory. And, and the next thing you know that my mind will then shift away from just the glory of God in creation. And I'll begin to think about God's word and how God has revealed himself in scripture. And from there, I'm often and, and probably this is true of many Christians. I'm often uh, led to think about my sinfulness and how this glorious God who's speaking to me in creation and speaking to me uh, through his word, how I've fallen short of his glory. As, as Roman says, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And I see my finiteness in, in relationship to God's glory. I see the ways that I've sinned and broken God's laws and his precepts and his commandments. And I'm led to pray to God and to, to seek his forgiveness and to ask him to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and, and to make me pure. And that's what's going on in this psalm. That's sort of the movement. One person put it this way, Psalm 19 is virtually peerless in its poetic power and theological depth. It reveals the God who is continually communicating through his works and through his word. Reflecting the foundational themes of Genesis 1 through 3, the psalmist moves in his thought from the general revelation given in heaven and earth to the special revelation in God's law or Torah. Having begun with the vast reaches of the cosmos, he ends with his own heart. It is God's intention in communicating through all the splendor of nature and through all the specifics of his word to reach us. That's the point of God's communication. God speaks or shouts at us with all the stops pulled out in order that we might hear and respond. Behind the primeval explosion of creation and behind the smoke and fire at Sinai is the loving heart of God seeking our hearts. God speaks is the thesis of this psalm. Well, let's look at, and I said... Uh, this morning, we're going to focus on these first six verses. We're going to focus this morning on what often is, is called general revelation. That is, God is speaking to us. He's communicating to us through his creation. And so we're going to focus on these first six verses this morning. Verse number one, uh, the heavens declare. There's that idea of communication. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So these two words, to declare and to proclaim, is giving us a picture that this inanimate life, the, the sky and the stars and the sun, they're communicating to us. And poetry does that, right? It, it, it gives inanimate objects lifelike characteristics sometimes. That's the way poetry works. And that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's saying, listen... The heavens, as you look up at the stars, you look at the clouds, you look at the great expanse, you look at the moon or the sun, it's shouting to you. It's proclaiming to you and it's declaring something to you. And do you see what it is that it's declaring to you? It's declaring to you the glory of God. The, there's a singular message. As you're moved in your heart, as you look at, at, at night and you see the sunset, out where we live, it's, it, you see some wonderful sunsets. And uh, you, you can see down there in the bottoms, there, there's a lot of wide open places. And uh, you can kind of see for a long distance. And off in the distance, you see the sun. And, and very often, you'll see various shades and colors. And then you'll see at night, the stars come out. And on a clear night, you can see more stars than you can count. 
And there, there's beauty there, and we all recognize that. And what the psalmist is saying is there's a message behind that. All of those things are communicating to you and to me. And as we're going to see, everyone who's ever lived on the face of the earth, it's communicating. And there's one message that it's communicating. And that is the glory of God. That sunset is talking to you. It's speaking to you. That sunrise in the morning, those beautiful summer or spring days. The summer's a little hot. We were out yesterday. It's kind of warm. I don't know if we'd say that's beautiful. It was beautiful, but it was really hot. And I'm red today. You can, you can tell. Uh, but we were out today, yesterday. That, that it's communicating to you. It's speaking to you. And what it is saying to you is God is glorious. If you'll hear it, if you'll, you'll receive it. We, we use that word a lot, don't we? Glory. It's, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. We, we all the time, or many of us will anyway, we, we talk about how the, the main purpose of our lives is to glorify God, to give Him glory. Uh, we, we sing about God's glory. We talk about God's glory. And yet I don't know that we really understand what glory is. Sometimes maybe we've got a hint at kind of what it is, but... But it's, in one way, it's kind of a difficult thing uh, to define. Over the last couple of years, I've thought from time to time about glory, and I've read uh, some various ideas of what glory is, and kind of formulated, um, with the help of others, formulated what I believe glory is. And, and I'll just give you that definition, and then we'll talk through it for a minute, because there's a message here. The heavens are declaring something to us. They're de declaring God's glory. And we say our purpose in life is to glorify God. And so we need to know what glory is if we want to understand this message. This is the definition that I have. Glory is that quality of a person, a thing, or even an event sometimes that causes an almost inexpressible explosion of various emotions such as awe and wonder and delight and, and even sometimes fear. So it's a quality of a person or a thing or event that, that causes this explosion of emotions. You've exp experienced glory before, haven't you? When you stand before the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, or you see some other natural wonder, and you walk out to the precipice. Well, the thing that amazed me about the Grand Canyon is that you know there are some fences around certain places, but there are other places you walk up and there's just drop-offs, right? There's just cliffs, and you could so easily die. But as you look out over the Grand Canyon, or maybe the first time that you've been to the ocean, or you've seen something else, there's just something about it that just almost takes your breath away. And there's this sort of explosion of emotions with you. Sometimes it's awe, sometimes it's wonder, sometimes it's love. Even sometimes as you stand before the Grand Canyon and you get out to the edge, there's just this fear. There's this reverence. It's, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, it's so big that it causes even fear within you. And I think that's what glory is. Whatever it is that, that causes you to feel that way, that is what glory is. We, we know other times when we've experienced glory, the first time that you hold your child and you have a new child that's born and the doctor uh, brings him or her to you and you hold and there's just that inexpressible emotion that comes over you. This is a glorious moment. There are other things that maybe aren't as important. We, we see athletes who have trained and practiced their whole lives, and now they've come to uh, the championship, and they've finally broke over, and they're, they're the champions, and the, the camera goes to the locker room, and here are these big, strong guys, and they are in tears. They are just overcome with emotion. 
And what is it? They're, they're experiencing glory. Something glorious has happened to them. Uh, and some things, as I said, some glorious moments are more important than others. Uh, but, but they're experiencing this glory and they're just overcome with the awesomeness of this moment. They're, they're choked up and teared up. How about have you ever been to a wedding? Especially if you're close with the bride and the groom and, and you know them very well and you love them. You, there's a relationship there and, and your music is playing and everyone's kind of talking quietly and then the organ or the music gets louder. The back doors open and in steps the bride. And there is, if maybe I'm just kind of a wimpy guy, uh, but I, I almost get choked up. Everybody stands and they turn to look at the bride. And there's just a moment of glory and her radiance and her beauty and the, the beauty of the dress and the, the levity, the importance, the weightiness of that moment. It's, it's something wonderful. And that is glory. I think that's what it's talking about. And the, the word, this word in the Old Testament that is translated most often glory is a word that really in its root, it means to be weighty or heavy. And we even understand that, don't we? There, there was just a weightiness to the moment, we might say. There was a heaviness that came over the room. And so there are certain places, there are certain events, there are certain people that there's a glory and a weightiness to them. If you've ever been and you've seen somebody famous, there's something there that, that sort of, maybe you don't care anything about them, but if you, if you like this person and you, you follow them, maybe they're a musician or something, this is awesome. And you see them walk through the room and you're, you're maybe right there close to them. There's sort of an awe that comes over you. That is glory. So, so God's glory is this weightiness, this uh, wonderfulness about God. It, it is the, the summation or, or the complex of all God's perfect attributes that come together that, that when people view Him and when people think about Him, there is a glory to God. John Piper says this, God's glory is the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. It's the public display of the infinite beauty and worth of God. We see a couple examples in the Bible of when people had reactions to the glory of God. So we think of Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. And let's just read his response to God. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood a seraphim. That's an angel. Each had six wings. With two He covered His face. And with two He covered His feet. And with two He flew. The idea of covering His face and His feet is even this idea that God is so glorious that this angel dare not look lest He become overcome with the, gloriness of God, the glory of God. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with His glory. God's holiness is so overwhelming, it's so beautiful, it's so wonderful, that it fills the whole earth with His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of Him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And then this is Isaiah's response. He said, And I said, Woe is me! 
For I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so Isaiah, as he gets a vision of God, he is brought to just say, whoa. He is brought to understand how glorious and how holy God is. And as he thinks and contemplates that, he sees his own sinfulness. A second example is John in the book of Revelation. John in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 12, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a, like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow, His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice was like a roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And John, how did you respond to all that glory? What, What he's describing there is the glory of the resurrected Christ. He says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. So what is going on with John? What is going on with Isaiah and Isaiah chapter six is that they've had visions of the Lord and they've experienced his glory, that feeling that you get. Uh, when you stand at the Grand Canyon or the ocean, it's just a momentary feeling though, isn't it? It just kind of is there and then it's gone. We just get fleeting little moments of that in this world. But God is so glorious that that feeling just over, overwhelms them. And John said, I fell down as if I were dead. He could not handle it. He could not handle the experience of God's glory. It, it overcome him, overcomes him. It's the overwhelming emotional experiences that we talked about times a thousand. And he's unable to bear it. And that's what the heavens are telling us. As we look up at the night sky or the sunset or the sunrise, the heavens are shouting at us. They are declaring to us, God is glorious. If you will hear it. The heavens are glorious, but you you notice the point of this verse is not to tell us how glorious the heavens are. It's not to make out that God's creation is so wonderful. It's to point us to something beyond that. And that is to show us that as glorious as a sunset might be, as as glorious as the sun is, or as glorious as the night sky might be, and the awe and the wonder that that might stir up in our hearts, the heavens are declaring to us something else. They're declaring God's Glory. There's, there's something great. I think, I think many Christians sometimes miss this point. One person said this, the, the majestic creation is evidence of the even more majestic God, Creator God. So as glorious as the heavens are, we don't need to stop there. And that's what we do sometimes. What a wonderful sunset. That's what the unbeliever does. The person who does not know the Lord, does not love the Lord, 
Uh, they look out at the sunset and it's beautiful, isn't it? The sky is wonderful. The stars are so majestic on a clear night out in the country. It's so wonderful. And, and, and everybody can look up at that and say, that's glorious. There's awe. There's, there's a love. There's a reverence to how great this universe is. But sometimes we stop there. And that's all that we say. And that's all that we recognize. But what this psalmist is saying, what David is telling us this morning, is that we need to lift our eyes even higher. Even above the expanse of the universe. And and outside of our galaxy. And we need to look and allow our eyes to be lifted up to the King of glory. And recognize that as glorious as the things are that you are seeing, they are but a minuscule representation and reflection of the glory of God. As glorious as this is, God is infinitely more glorious. And this is just a little sample, just a little foretaste, just a little reflection of God's glory. So Christian, as you look out at the sunset, don't don't just allow your thoughts to stop with the beauty of a sunset. Allow your thoughts then to move into the beauty of the God that we worship and serve. We don't just say God made something beautiful. We say God is beautiful. We don't look at the sun. And if you know anything about the sun, the power that the sun has, we we don't just look at the sun and say, wow, what a wonderful creation. That's awesome. But as believers, what we need to do is lift our eyes up and say, wow, what a powerful and great God we serve that he could just speak the sun into existence. And this is just a little, a little taste of His power and His glory. And so, we need to see that creation reflects His glory. You know, sometimes we, we act as if, well, uh, creation is great and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And, and we act, well, God is just such a good artist. And, and we give Him credit in that way. And that's, that's true, right? God, God is His creation, His design is, is wonderful. What, what a great engineer God is. But, but what we're seeing in this verse is that it's saying something more than that. It's not just saying God is a great engineer. Uh, you know, there, there are engineers, sometimes engineers are, are a little bit nerdy, aren't they? Uh, kind of science guys. And an engineer might be able to design the most powerful machine or most powerful engine that you could imagine, and yet he himself is not powerful at all. Uh, he might be the weakest of, of all men, and that might be very likely when it comes... I'm just, hopefully nobody's an engineer here. Uh, but that might be very likely when it comes to engineers, right? Uh, they're spending a lot of time studying and reading and, and kind of nerding. Okay? They, they might not be very powerful, but they can design something with with great power. An artist might be able to design something that could take the beauty of it, could take your breath away. And then you meet the artist and, and ah, she's not very pretty. Uh, there, there's no beauty there or very little beauty there. Maybe I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just being mean this morning. Uh, but but uh, you, you see that, that the, the, the ability to create something powerful or something beauty is not necessarily a reflection of that person's power or beauty, Right? But with God, it's not just that he's a great artist or a great engineer that can design powerful things. These things that he is creating are a reflection, even just a small, minuscule reflection of his great power and his great glory. And that's what the psalmist is telling us here. The heavens declare not their own glory. They're beautiful. They're wonderful. But the heavens declare the glory of God. 
That's what Isaiah saw. And that's what, that's what John saw. And it caused John to be so overcome that he falls down as dead. You notice here, and you're, you're wondering now, uh, or maybe you're not wondering anymore why I broke this up and we're covering it in two weeks rather than, than one. But verse 2, he says, Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. We see a couple things here. We see, first of all, the constancy of this revelation. It is day after day and night after night. You see, uh, it's, not as just, it's not as if God just speaks once in a while. Maybe once in your lifetime you're able to look and see something that declares His glory. The psalmist says here, no, no, no. God is speaking to you this morning. As you go out today and you look at the beauty of God's creation, He's speaking to you. And He's speaking to you tomorrow and the next day. And He's been speaking to you every day of your life. And He will continue to speak to you every day of your life. Day after day, night after night. God is speaking to you through His creation and it's declaring His glory. You'll see thousands or hundreds of of sunsets, thousands of night skies, many of them lit with uncountable numbers of stars. You'll see thousands of beautiful sunny days, hundreds of awe-inspiring, powerful storms rolling in over the horizon. And every one of them is telling you something. They're telling you that God is glorious. When you see the, the storm rolling, that's, I, I love to go out. Some people are scared of storms. I love to go outside and see the, the, the gray, almost black clouds come, come rolling in over the horizon and to watch the power and the majesty of that. And that's declaring to us God is glorious. If you live to be 72 years old, you will have roughly 26,280 opportunities to open your eyes and hear God speaking to you through His creation, through the majesty of His creation. It's a constant message that is coming to you. Are you listening to it? Do you hear God speaking to you through the glory of His creation? Then we see not only the constancy of this revelation, but the abundance of this Revelation day to day it pours out speech. This word pours out is a word that means it's as if it's bubbling over. One person said the verb for utters literally means to bubble up, to pour forth day to day creation effervesces with God's speech. The light of the day, the darkness of night, the brightness of both the sun and the moon all witness to the glory of God. Another person said creation cannot contain itself. It's as if it's spilling over. Creation cannot contain itself, but constantly proclaims the glory of God. The heavens and skies are simply bursting to tell us that they're of their maker and keep pumping out their testimony about him. And so it is a constant communication. It is an abundant. It's pouring out. It's spilling over. And we look at verses three and four. It says there is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. What he's telling us here, and then he says in in verse 4, their their voice, some of you might have measuring line, some translated voice, their voice goes throughout all the earth. And what the psalmist is saying here, he's stepping back and he's saying, listen, I'm using an analogy, this is poetry, there is no voice, there are no words, there's no speech. Uh, this, this is an analogy that I'm using, but then notice what he says, their voice goes throughout all the earth. 
It's not an audible voice. If you're waiting for God to speak to you, to give you a dream or to allow you to hear a voice, that's not what this is about. God is speaking to you, but he's doing it in a nonverbal way. And yet, and yet their voice, their word, their, their cry goes out throughout all the earth. There is no place. Even though this is sort of nonverbal communication, there is no place in the world. There is no person who has ever lived on this earth who has not seen the glory of God revealed in creation. You say, well, you know, there's some people that don't have the Bible. There's some people that have never heard the gospel. Are they really, aren't they innocent in a sense? They, they've never had the opportunity. And yet we see here that there are no innocent people. God has been communicating to us about His glory every day that we've lived. And He talks about the sun that goes from one end of the sky to the other. And nothing goes untouched by its heat. Everyone sees sunsets. Everyone sees the starry sky. And God is talking to us. And He's speaking to every person. Even though there are no words. Either the, even though there's no audible communication. Everyone has heard of the glory of God. That's what he's saying in verses 3 and 4. It is a universal communication. You know, a, a, a picture, sometimes they say, is, is worth a thousand words. And a picture can communicate to us. Uh, it's not as certain as words are sometimes. We need some explanation. Yet it does not negate the reality that something is being communicated. And what the psalmist is saying is that everybody's got a clear communication from the Lord in the things that have been made. Paul says that in a minute. We're going to look at that in Romans 1. Everyone is without excuse because they've all heard of the glory of God. He's communicated to them. It's a universal communication. Every person on the face of the earth has heard God speaking in this way. General revelation is for all people. One person says this, there is no place or person without some knowledge of God. Another said the difference in variety of language does not prevent the preaching of the heavens and their language from being heard and understood in every quarter of the world. If you want to go around the world and tell someone about the gospel, we went a couple of years ago. In fact, just uh, I saw on Facebook, it, it reminded me that that's been two years ago now, right? We went to Nicaragua and we went there to, to try to do mission work, but we were limited because uh, we, we can't speak the language, right? And so we did service and we had, we had interpreters. But listen, this communication of God needs no interpretation. It doesn't matter if you're in China, in South America, wherever you are, whatever language, whatever dialect you speak, you can hear God speaking to you through His creation. And now he says in verse, the end of verse 4 and then into verse 5, he gives us one example. So far, he's just been speaking generally about the sky. But now he gives us uh, a one shining example. At the end of verse 4, he says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from his heat. He gives two analogies of what the sun is like and, and the glory that the sun reveals. The first is like a groom. And in their, their rituals, their customs in, in ancient times were a little bit different. So, so the groom would leave his location, 
come out of his tent or his dwelling place and he would go to wherever the bride was, where she lived her dwelling place. He would go get his bride. They would celebrate there. And then he would come back to, to his place. And that, that was sort of the ritual, the custom in, in ancient Hebrew culture. And, and much like we talk about a bride sort of entering the back of the church and the glory that we see there, uh, he's using the analogy of the groom as he kind of comes out arrayed in all of his wedding garments and he comes out of his tent and he's going to get his bride. And, and the psalmist is saying that's what this, the sun is like. Every day it's as if there's a tent and every morning you see the sunrise. Here it comes bursting out of the tent that God has made and we see the glory and the radiance of of the sun. And then it's like a strong man or a runner who runs his course and the sun is setting and it speaks to us about God's glory and his power that the fact that he has taken something so powerful as the sun and he's given it a course to run. And you've seen the pictures, maybe you've watched some of these races like the marathons and, and there's a glory, isn't there, as, as these marathoners come to the end of 25 miles and they come and they're, they come bounding down the last stretch. And they're worn out, but they finish their course. And there you are watching their sweat. They look like they're about ready to fall over. And yet there's a joy and there's a glory as they stretch out and run across the finish line. And he's saying that's what the sun is like. There's this glory. Every day it bursts out of his tent. And then like a strong man, it runs from one end of the sky to the other end of the sky. And it's speaking to you. It's telling you of the glory of God. In pagan cultures, uh, they worship the sun as if it were God itself. It's so glorious. And if you just stop and look at the sun, you can understand why people might do that. And yet David tells us here that the sun is not a God, but it's God's preacher. It's God's, it's God's preacher coming out and declaring every day, God is glorious. And some people, as I said, they, they look at the glory of the sun and they just stop there. But God has said that the purpose of these things is for us to lift our eyes up to the one who made them and to see his glory. And so uh, the son is not a God, but it is God's preacher. One person said this, it is impossible to direct even a cursory glance to the greater and lesser lights which rule by day and night without being compelled to think with reverential awe of that incomprehensible being who kindles up all their fires, directs all their courses, and impresses upon them all laws which contribute alike to the order, beauty, and happiness of the universe. As we kind of bring this to a conclusion here this morning and sort of apply this to ourselves, I think the question that we need to ask ourselves, each one of us, is if we are listening to God. Are you listening to God? He's communicating to you. Next week we're going to look and see that He's communicating to us through His perfect Word. But, but this morning we're just thinking that He's, he's communicating through, through His world and through His works. And are you listening to that? There are many people who, who are not listening there are many people who look at sunsets and sunrises and skies and storms and the beauty of God's creation and they're, they're in awe of it, but they don't, they don't respect God. Psalm 14, 1, another psalm that we're not going to look at in this series, but a, a good one. Psalm 14, verse 1 says that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's only a foolish person that could look at all of this glory and all of this splendor and say, there's no God. 
There's no one who made this. There's, there's no one who directed all this uniformity, all the, the, the specificity of creation and the way that it works uh, like the finest machine has ever worked. There's a, only a fool could look at that and say there is no God. I mentioned Romans 1, verse 18 earlier. It says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Why is God's wrath being revealed? Well, listen, the reason God's wrath is being revealed, and we're going to read this, the reason God's wrath is being revealed from heaven is because people look at the sun and people look at the glory of God in creation and they close their eyes and they close their ears and they go on and they worship and serve the creation rather than the Creator. And so God's wrath is being revealed. Listen to Paul say this, for the wrath of God is revealed against Uh, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness, because they're unrighteous, because they are sinful, because of their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. So it's like bubbling up and they just push it down. They suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Paul, how how has God shown Himself to the world? Why is it plain to them? It's plain to him for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. How have they been perceived, Paul? In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory, the glory that's revealed in creation. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So God was speaking to them. God was revealing Himself every day, shouting about His glory. And instead of lifting their eyes to God and worshiping God, they had this unrighteousness. They wanted to live on their own. They did not want to bow their knee and bend their knee to this glorious Creator. And so they began to worship birds. And they began to worship the sun instead of the one who made the sun. And you say, of course, we're not in pagan cultures. We don't do that. And yet we do. Yet we do all the time. We worship the stuff that God has made, the glorious stuff that God has made. We spend Sundays out on the boat instead of coming to church to worship the God who made the lake and who made the sun and the skies. We, we worship the things that God has made instead of God, and that makes us guilty before God. We are blind to the God, the glory of God, who made these glorious things. One person said this, if, a man, if man had never sinned, If he were laboring under no blindness of mind nor hardness of of hearing, the teachings of natural religion, this general revelation, are so clear and so impressive that they would assuredly awaken pious wonder and devout praise of the Maker of all things. In other words, bottom line, what he's saying there, if we weren't sinful, when we see a sunset, every time we see it, we would praise God. Instead, we say, oh, this is beautiful. And we go on about 
our day. Every day, every night when we look up in the sky and we see the stars, or we see the wonder of God's, even the human beings that God has made, we, we hold a baby in our arms and we see the glory of Every time, if we weren't such sinful beings suppressing the truth like Paul talked about, we would just be raised to lift and praise our glorious God. And so it is sin that blinds us to, to this. Now, as we close this morning, I just want to to ask you, are you listening to God's communication? Do you hear what He is saying to you? Are you listening? Are are you paying attention? Are you receiving that? Are you responding in the right way to God's communication? The right way to respond is to bow your knee to this glorious God, to worship and serve Him. Are you doing that? Or or are you just simply enjoying God's glorious creation? One, One person said this. I thought this was just a great illustration. He said, you may say to yourself, I don't hear creation telling me about God. But think about it this way. If you shout at someone standing five feet away from you and he doesn't respond, he is either deaf or he's ignoring you. If you don't see God's glory in the universe he made, you need the courage and honesty to ask yourself, could it be that I am deaf? Or could it be that I'm ignoring God and turning my back on him? The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. Have you bent your knee to the glorious God? Do you worship Him? Are you serving Him? He's he's calling out to you. If you you were to see somebody down in Hallsville that you knew, and you roll the window down and you yell at them and say, Hey, how you doing? And they just keep walking down. Maybe you think, well, maybe they didn't hear me. The next day, uh, you see them down in Hallsville again, and you, you, honk, you honk at them this time. You roll the window, you know they heard you. You're right there, and you're shouting at them. You're communicating to them, and they walk by. And you do that every day for a week. After a while, you're going to get the clue, right? You might have got it the first time. Probably most of us would, would say after the first time, well, they must not want to talk to me. And listen, 26,000 times, 26,280 times you wake up if you live 72 years and God is shouting at you every one of those days. He's revealing His glory to you and the right response to that glory is to bow and worship the Creator God. Are you doing that with your life? Or are you like the person who just keeps walking? You say, well, maybe God will... Show me grace at the end. And, and we, we know that wouldn't be the case, right? Because w- would we continue to do that? Uh, you know, somebody ignores us and ignores us and ignores us. We would probably do it after one time. But God, 26,000 times, He's shouting at us and we're ignoring Him. When you get to the judgment day, that will not be the time for, the gr- for grace. God is talking to you right now. He's giving you the opportunity this morning as you see the beauty of everything that he's made. And now he's even giving you a greater blessing. As bad of a preacher as I am, you've heard the word of God this morning clearly preached his special revelation. You have the opportunity this morning to bow your knees, stop walking away, stop ignoring God, turn around, bow your knee to the creator God. You have that opportunity this morning to respond to his communication. Don't ignore him any longer. I'm going to ask Daniel to come at this time. Uh, Daniel and Bobby, we're going to close in a hymn. I ask you to stand.